With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, and welcome to the French History Podcast. My name is Gary Chauhan. Episode 16. The Gallo-Roman Apocalypse The year is 52 BCE. Crossus is dead, and with him the triumvirate, that balance of power that held the Roman world together. The people of Italy understand that they rest on a knife's edge as the rule of law gives way to rule by power. Things were so bad that politicians began raising their own gangs to rule Rome by fear. One of these men was a tribune by the name of Publius Clodius Pulcher. Pulcher had been causing headaches for Caesar and Pompey, opposing their political agenda for years and even going so far as to call one of Caesar's consulships illegal. A pretty daring move. This didn't come to anything since the triumvirate was more powerful, but Pulcher controlled a number of violent gangs in Rome that harassed lesser leaders, most notably Cicero. One of Pulcher's rivals was another tribune, Titus Annius Milo, whose rival gangs clashed with Pulcher's. Eventually, their animosity became so pronounced that a chance passing of their retinues led to a fight. Injured and outnumbered, Milo decided to have Pulcher executed. The resulting chaos in Italy meant Pompey assumed sole consulship and was tasked with restoring order. Furthermore, all young men were required to take a military oath. This clever move meant that troublesome men in gangs could be requisitioned for the army. Thus, yet again, chaos in Italy will spill over into Gaul. This new conscription law meant more men could be raised for war, and as such, Caesar returned to Italy to levy more soldiers. Meanwhile, Caesar's departure led to trouble in Gaul, as a number of Gaelic tribes bemoaned that they were now under the thumb of Rome. Caesar had so easily killed off Gaelic kings and pillaged Gaelic lands that the Gauls feared that any one of them could become Rome's next victim, if they angered this mighty nation. No doubt, each Gaelic tribe worried that they might become the next Treveri, who the previous year were driven near the point of extinction. Thus, a handful of tribes got together and launched a scheme to cut off Caesar from his armies while the legions hunkered down for winter. The Carnutes were the first tribe to strike, and slaughtered Roman citizens at Genebum, or what is today Orléans, in the middle north of Gaul. It was then that the mightiest of all Gauls, Vercingetorix's father at one point was the most powerful figure in Gaul after the Adwai were defeated by a joint Arverni and German alliance, the same Arverni-German alliance which started the Gaelic Wars. 
Since then, Rome had punished the Arverni. Vercingetorix, desiring vengeance for his father and his birthright as the supreme ruler of Gaul, called together his dependencies and prepared for war. The nobles of Arverni were afraid that such a move would be foolish and banished him. But the upstart young man was not deterred. He raised an army and overthrew the old nobles, seizing sole power in Arverni lands. He then called up most Gaelic tribes of northern Gaul to join him, and he was named Supreme Commander. Those who didn't join him willingly were forced to with torture. Those who hesitated had their ears cut off or an eye poked out, while those who refused were burned alive. This, as you can guess, made the Gauls very rapidly join his side. Caesar was in a difficult position, because if he summoned his armies, the provinces under their guard would be unprotected, but if he went to them, he would be in danger of attack. Meanwhile, Vercingetorix was planning something unimaginable. He was plotting an invasion of Narbonensis. The Arverni king sent his general, Lucterius, to seize the capital of Narbo, today known as Narbonne, on the western Mediterranean coast. Caesar ordered a forced march of what legions he had and forced the Gauls to retreat, briefly saving Narbonensis. Since it was still winter and snow covered the mountain passes in that area, the Gauls thought they were safe. But the Romans, showing their historic tenacity and daring, shoveled the snow from the roads and surprised their enemies. When Vercingetorix heard Caesar was coming into the Arverni territory, he moved his armies to meet him. Caesar then left most of his legions under the command of a lieutenant and snuck around the Arverni territory, meeting up with his scattered legions across Gaul, uniting them and marching upon Gergovia, just south of the center of France, near modern-day Clermont-Ferrand. Gergovia was the capital of the Arverni tribe and the birthplace of Vercingetorix, and as such, he couldn't let it fall. The Gaelic king ordered a retreat and marched after Caesar. This left Caesar at a crossroads. If he attacked, he would be braving the cold winter and fighting Vercingetorix in his own territory. However, if he didn't attack, Caesar would look weak, which might cause the other Gauls to revolt. Caesar had gone into lands never trod on by Romans, including Germania and Britannia, so he wasn't going to let himself look like the coward and decided to attack. But he couldn't attack Gergovia just yet, so he decided to take the city of Velanodunum with a show of arms, then marched on Genabum, a Carnute city. Most of the Carnutes escaped before the Romans arrived, and Caesar burned the town to the ground. Now the momentum of war had shifted, and it was upon Vercingetorix to stop Caesar from quashing his allies and ending the rebellion. So he marched to meet him. The Arverni king found Caesar at Noviodunum, in modern-day western Switzerland, and in the process of seizing the city, when Vercingetorix's cavalry appeared. Seeing the cavalry, the besieged Gauls, who were even then negotiating surrender, took up their arms to fight the Romans. But Vercingetorix's main host hadn't arrived soon enough. 
Caesar put down the uprising, and the Gaelic leaders brought forth the troublemakers for execution and submitted to Caesar. It was then that the leader of the revolting Gauls laid out his scorched-earth tactics, which were meant to starve the Romans, pushing them into small groups which could be killed with cavalry. Vercingetorix decreed that every field the Romans might come upon should be burned, and every unfortified town in their path razed. When his fellow Gauls balked at this, he replied, If these sacrifices should appear heavy or galling, you ought to consider it much more distressing that your wives and children should be dragged off to slavery and yourselves slain, the evils which must necessarily befall the conquered. From these words, it's clear that Vercingetorix was fully committed to a complete removal of Roman power from Gaul, as he saw no middle ground between Gaelic independence and Roman slavery. The princes of Gaul grudgingly agreed to his tactics, and twenty towns of the Biturges were burned in a single day. Only Avericum, in north-central Gaul, near modern-day Bourges, was spared because it was one of the most beautiful and easily fortified cities, and even still the Baturges had to beg Vercingetorix not to burn it. As one of the last towns left, Caesar besieged the city. In response, Vercingetorix pitched his camp 15 Roman miles from the city and sent out cavalry to harass foraging Romans, leading to bitter losses on both sides. But the scorched-earth tactics began to work, and the Romans were beginning to go hungry as food supplies ran short. Caesar chose not to hold a prolonged siege, and when midnight came, he moved his camp closer to Vercingetorix. The Arverni king hid his baggage in the woods, and he assembled his men on an open field to face the Romans. In this position, the Gauls held the high ground and the passes through the nearby marshes. While Caesar's men desperately wanted to fight the Gauls rather than hold a prolonged siege, Caesar understood how important the high ground was. I don't know, maybe he was trained by Obi-Wan Kenobi, and retreated to recommence the siege. Caesar wasn't the only leader who was facing trouble from his own men, as Vercingetorix had to handle a very delicate situation as some of the Gauls accused him of betraying them to the Romans, since he had been running around with his cavalry and had left no one in charge of the main host. Vercingetorix deftly handled these allegations by claiming that he didn't put anyone in charge because he didn't want a vainglorious person to start an engagement. Moreover, he believed that the Romans were starving to death and that patience was the key. At this point, he drew out a few Roman camp followers who had been captured while foraging. These Romans told the Gauls that they were starving and that if Caesar couldn't take Avericum in three days, he would make a desperate retreat. This was enough for Vercingetorix to win back the Gauls and save his own head. With the Gauls firmly united behind their warrior king, Vercingetorix sent 10,000 soldiers to reinforce the city. While the Romans expected to take the city with their incredible siege weaponry, by this point, the Gauls had learned how to counter them. They used nooses to catch and turn aside the grappling hooks and machines to pull them away from the Romans. When Roman sappers built tunnels under the city, they found Gaelic soldiers waiting to kill them in tunnels of their own making. 
The Gauls used boiling pitch and flaming arrows to set fire to Roman siege equipment, while their own walls were much harder to catch fire due to the animal skins covering the buildings. Under constant fire from the Gauls for 25 days, the Romans amazingly constructed an earthen mound 330 feet broad and 80 feet high that was nearly as high as the walls. Yet, Gaelic sappers built a tunnel underneath the mound and started a bonfire, causing it to sink. Meanwhile, the Gauls threw firewood and pitch onto the mound while the Romans desperately tried to put out the fire. By now, the Gauls realized that Roman engineering wasn't magic or divine favor and could be countered with a little ingenuity which they possessed in spades. It's worth mentioning one final time that the Gauls were not the barbaric hordes that the Romans depicted them as. The wave of invading Gauls that had sacked Rome in 390 BCE were far different from their descendants, whose culture had evolved rapidly over the centuries. The Gauls that Caesar faced had large cities, were interconnected with world trade, and were quite cultured. Despite this, the Roman psyche continued to depict the Gauls as barbarians because they never quite got over the original sack of Rome, and Caesar was more than willing to play into this propaganda. But if the Celtic mind was equal to the Romans, their stubbornness wasn't. Despite the Gauls' tenacity and genius, it was becoming clear to them that Avaricum couldn't hold. In the middle of the night, the Gaelic soldiers tried to sneak away in order to join up with Vercingetorix. As they did, the women of the city begged the men not to leave them to the Romans. This caused a commotion that roused the Romans, and the Gauls knew that they could no longer escape. With the Gauls still recovering from the internal chaos the next morning, Caesar ordered a sudden charge on the walls. The Gauls regrouped in the middle of the town to prepare for a battle, but instead the Romans moved along the walls, cutting off any retreat. Seeing this, the Gauls threw down their arms and ran. The Romans, who at this point were driven mad with hunger, bloodlust, and the sudden violence after a long siege, slaughtered every man, woman, and child in the town. Avaricum was one of the largest cities in Gaul, with 40,000 inhabitants, but only 800 survived and fled to Vercingetorix's camp. Outraged at the Roman barbarity, the Gaelic king then vowed to unite all of Gaul in such a confederation that not even the whole earth could withstand it. The one positive for Vercingetorix to come out of this tragedy was that his popularity soared among the Gauls because he reminded them that he originally wanted Avaricum burned and its people evacuated and only allowed it to stand due to protests from his princes. With nearly 40,000 Gauls slaughtered brutally, among them the elderly, women, children, priests, merchants, and diplomats, most Gauls believed that if they had only listened to Vercingetorix, this atrocity could have been prevented. As such, the Arverni king was quickly rising above his other generals from just the first among equals to the one true voice of the Gaelic people. While the bodies grew cold and the land struggled to absorb the blood of 40,000 dead Celts, 
Vercingetorix sent emissaries out across the whole of Gaul, calling to unite the tribe. He offered clemency to everyone who hadn't supported him to that point, if they would now. As a result, most tribes joined him, and he raised a massive army. Meanwhile, Caesar and his men rested and recovered inside the walls of Avericum, eating and replenishing themselves besides the mound of dead gulls. Winter was ending, and Caesar was planning to hunt down Vercingetorix when an Adwai emissary appeared, telling Caesar that the Adwai were on the brink of a civil war as two magistrates claimed power over the tribe. The two magistrates were Convicto Litivus, a powerful and illustrious youth, and Cotus, a man of very great influence, extensive connections, who was part of an ancient noble family, and thankfully had an easier-to-pronounce name. Seriously, as a podcaster, trying to pronounce all of these ancient names is much harder than it seems, and I can't tell you how many times I tried to pronounce Convicto Litivus correctly. While Caesar didn't want to give up the chase for Vercingetorix, he feared the civil war might end up hurting a Roman ally and even turning this large tribe over to the enemy. Caesar marched into the Adwai territory, called the government together, and put Convicto Litivus in charge. Caesar then raised 10,000 Adwai to hold garrisons across Gaul and reminded them that they would be handsomely rewarded when the war was over. After this, he split up his forces. He gave his trusted and valuable lieutenant Labienus four legions to lead into the country of the Senones and Parisi and took six for himself to march into the Averni territory. Caesar then chased after Vercingetorix, shadowing his army until they reached the city of Gergovia. Caesar took a small hill between Vercingetorix's camp and the city and made a trench from the town to his camp to hold it against the Gaelic king's forces, effectively cutting them off from assessing the city's supplies. As fate would have it, Caesar had chosen wrong, and Convicto Litivus was not the man for the job, and not just because his name sounded like an antidepressant. Convicto Litivus held secret counsel with the other Adwai leaders and told them how their tribe was the one thing keeping all of Gaul from uniting against Caesar. He gave a speech calling on the senators to remember they were free and born for empire, that the state of the Adwai was the only one which inhibited the most certain victory of the Gauls, that the rest were held in check by its authority, and if it was brought over, the Romans would not have room to stand on in Gaul, that he had received some kindness from Caesar, only so far, however, as gaining a most just cause by his decision, but that he assigned more weight to the general freedom. For why should the Adwai go to Caesar to decide concerning their rights and laws, rather than the Romans come to the Adwai? One of the chiefs, named Litavicus, then approached his own men who were among those marching with Caesar. Weeping, he exclaimed, Soldiers, whither are we going? All our knights and all our nobles have perished. Eporetorix and Vero Demaris, the principal men of the state, being accused of treason, have been slain by the Romans without any permission to plead their cause. 
Take heed from those who have escaped from the massacre, for I, since my brothers and all my family have been slain, am prevented by grief from declaring what has taken place. Litavicus then went on to say, Have we any reason to doubt that the Romans, after perpetrating the atrocious crime at Avericum, are now hastening to slay us? Therefore, if there be any spirit in us, let us avenge the death of those who have perished in a most unworthy manner, and let us slay these robbers. Then Leviticus, in a rage, seized the Romans that were with him, tortured and killed them, then sent out messengers to rally more Gauls to the cause. It wasn't long after that Convicto Litavus and Litavicus were betrayed by a fellow Gaul within Caesar's camp who was looking to make his way up the Roman army. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Caesar then surrounded the army of the Adwai and Litavicus fled alongside the other rebels. With this potentially war-changing mutiny put to rest, Caesar returned to the siege of Gergovia, where his own position was vehemently attacked by Gaelic troops and the Romans were sustaining heavy casualties. Many Adwai were still raiding Roman goods and skirmishing with small Roman bands as the legions were spread out across many hills. Chaos was breaking down the Roman army like a plague, and the Romans couldn't trust their Gaelic counterparts. Caesar knew he had to do something to seize the high ground quickly. He used one legion as a decoy and moved the rest onto higher ground, catching three Gaelic camps off guard. Then he ordered a general retreat to lure out Vercingetorix. In a rare occurrence, fate turned against Caesar, as most of his troops did not hear the order and charged on towards Gergovia, emboldened by the easy capture of the three camps. As they did, their Adwin allies arrived, but the Romans mistook them for enemies and nearly attacked them. The clamor of this charge warned Vercingetorix to the Roman presence, and he led a cavalry charge which burst through the Roman lines. Caesar finally managed to order a successful retreat and pulled out of Arverni territory back into Adwai lands. This was Caesar's first major defeat, and did as much to rally the Gauls to Vercingetorix as the slaughter at Avericum. The battle proved to the Gauls that Caesar was not invincible, at least as long as they were being led by the Arverni king. Either because he feared a trap, or because he wanted to consolidate his forces, Vercingetorix remained where he was, which allowed Caesar to escape. Back in the Adwai territory, Caesar discovered that the mutinous Adwai Litavicus was raising an army to fight against Rome. Caesar didn't want to appear as a dictator or show them he suspected mutiny, so instead he reminded the Adwai of the state they were in when he found them. Six years ago, the Arverni had invited the Swebi German tribe into Gaul in order to overthrow the Adwai and had made them vassals. 
And now Litovicus wanted to lead the Adwai into submission to their most hated enemies who burned their lands and stole their food and goods? Whether it was Caesar's oratory or the fact that the Adwai and Arverni hated each other from time immemorial, it was enough for much of the Adwai to decide to remain loyal to Rome. Even in this hour of Gaelic unification, the old blood rivalries still existed, and Caesar played on them perfectly, turning one of the largest tribes against Gaelic independence. Despite Caesar's speech, some of the leaders of the Adwai still joined the rebellion and successfully assaulted Novio Dunham, which Caesar was using to hold his hostages, his food, his supplies, and perhaps most importantly, his gold. The Gauls took everything that could be carried, while the city itself was burned to the ground. Any excess money was thrown into the river, as much to keep it from the Romans as an offering to the river deities. Caesar chased after these rebels, hoping to quash the rebellion before they could join up with other forces and spread chaos across the neighboring states. He forced March's men day and night after the revolting Adwai and found them at the Loire River. As he did, his lieutenant Labienus met up with Caesar and informed him that Lutetia had been burned to the ground. Meanwhile, a number of prominent Adwai led the tribe to switch sides and join the rebellion in full. But they demanded that they be put in charge, claiming that the Adwai were the traditional leaders of Gaul. The leaders of Gaul held a council at Bibracte to decide the matter, and everyone voted unanimously for Vercingetorix. Tough break. The Adwai were dismayed as Gaul fell under the power of a rival leader, but now that they had betrayed Rome, they knew they had no options left but to support Vercingetorix. The recently reconfirmed leader of all the Gauls then led his army to burn much of his beloved country as he stuck to his strategy of starving Caesar. While much of Gaul went up in flames, Vercingetorix marched south to retake Narbonensis. Caesar, caught behind enemy lines and outnumbered, did something truly shocking. He turned to Germania for help. He called for the aid of the Ubi, who he had previously made peace with, and they sent him an army. With the Ubi at his side, Caesar rode to Narbonensis, where Vercingetorix amassed his armies before him and camped ten Roman miles distance. Vercingetorix believed that Caesar had to be humiliated here, otherwise he would return to Gaul with a larger army, so he wanted to seize Caesar's baggage and kill a great portion of the army using his superior cavalry. At this point, his horsemen swore an oath that no man should be received beneath a roof, nor have access to children or to parents or to wife who had not twice ridden through the enemy's column. The Gaelic cavalry harassed Caesar, and a battle ensued on three fronts, and many were slaughtered on both sides. Just as the battle started to turn against the Romans, the Germans on the right flank drove the Gauls back to a hill, only to run into Vercingetorix's footmen, where many were slain and the rest fled back to camp. Thus, the third battle between Caesar and the Arverni king was a stalemate. After the battle, Vercingetorix retreated and dug in at Alesia. 
Alicia was a fortress on a hill, thought to be impregnable except by massive siege weapons, and had two rivers running on each side of the hill's base. Hills surrounded Alicia on all sides, save for the west, where the plains opened up, making it even harder to assail. It was almost a Celtic version of Helm's Deep, and yes, I am shocked it took this long for me to make a Lord of the Rings reference. Unlike the Uruk-hai in The Lord of the Rings, Caesar was content to wait and starve the Gauls, which would not take long, considering that they numbered 80,000, if you believe Caesar, and even if you don't, it still had to be a pretty remarkable force. Vercingetorix did everything he could to break the siege. He ordered his cavalry out to test his opponents, but the Romans and Germans were ready and slaughtered many of them. The Gaelic king then ordered his horsemen to sneak away by night and go to their own tribes and raise armies to aid them, fearing his own army would die and Gaul with it. He tallied his food supply and estimated he could feed his men for 30 days and no doubt offered a prayer for deliverance before that time came. Caesar understood the situation and ordered his soldiers to build a fort that would surround Alicia. He had his men build trenches with sharpened tree trunks that would impale falling enemies. Behind the trenches were palisade walls. Behind that was the Roman camp, then another palisade wall, then more trenches facing outward to guard against any Gauls that might come to reinforce Vercingetorix. At this point, things looked grim for the Gaelic leader and his men. His army was almost out of food, and debate was held whether to march out and give a desperate fight or surrender. Just as many of the Gauls were contemplating surrender, a leader named Critignatus gave a speech bemoaning their cowardice. I'll try to give this speech the epicness it deserves, though I doubt I'm up to the task. According to the commentary, Critignatus exclaimed, of their opinion, who call a most disgraceful slavery by the name of surrender, I propose to say nothing. I hold that they should not be treated as citizens nor invited to the council. Let my business be with those who approve of fight, and in their design, by your general agreement, there seems to remain a memory of ancient courage. This is faint-heartedness of yours, not courage, to be unable to endure want for a short space. It is easier to find men to fling themselves recklessly on death than men to endure pain patiently. And yet I might now have approved this view if I saw therein the loss of nothing but our life. But in making our decision, we should have regard to the whole of Gaul, which we have aroused to our assistance." What, think you, will be the spirit of our friends and kindred when 80,000 men have been slain in one spot if they are forced to fight out the issue almost over their very bodies? Refuse to rob of your support the men who for your deliverance have disregarded their own peril. Forbear by folly, recklessness, or weak-mindedness of yours to lay prostrate and subject to everlasting slavery the whole of Gaul. Or do you doubt their faithfulness, their resolution, because they are not arrived to the day? What then? Do you think that the Romans are daily engaged in those outer trenches for mere amusement? If it may not be that your resolve should be strengthened by messages from your friends, since every approach is blocked, 
Yet take the Romans here to your witnesses that their coming draws nigh, and it is in fear thereof that they are busy in their works day and night. What then is my counsel? To do what our forefathers did in the war with the Cimbri and the Teutones. They shut themselves into the towns, and under stress of a like scarcity, sustained life on the bodies of those whose age showed them useless for war, and delivered not themselves to the enemy. If we had not a precedent for this, I should still have judged it a most glorious thing for the sake of liberty to set such a one and to hand it down to posterity. For wherein was that war like this? The Cimbri devastated Gaul. They brought great disaster upon us. Yet they departed at length from our borders and sought other countries, leaving us our rights, laws, lands, liberty. But the Romans desire to settle in the lands and states of men whose noble report and martial strength they have learnt, and to bind upon them a perpetual slavery. Tis no other fashion they have waged wars. And if you know not what is afoot among distant nations, look now on Gaul, close at hand, which has been reduced to a province, with utter change of rights and laws, and crushed beneath the axes in everlasting slavery. This speech and other counsel persuaded the Gauls to make a last stand. The old and infirm were sent away, while the rest decided to hold out for as long as their food would last. On that day, a massive reinforcing Gaelic army arrived. Caesar claims they numbered 250,000 footmen and 8,000 cavalry. Caesar is a liar, but even still, the army was probably enormous. After all, Vercingetorix, probably the most popular Gaul and perhaps most popular Celt in all of history, was facing possible death, and Gauls from hundreds of miles away marched to his aid. Thus, a strange situation took hold, as Vercingetorix and his army were surrounded on all sides by Caesar's encircling fortifications and his army, and outside that was another Gaelic army trying to break through. Caesar ordered his men to occupy all of the fortifications so that the reinforcing army couldn't break through and connect with the forces at Alesia. Then he ordered his cavalry to harass the massive army to buy him valuable time. When the Roman cavalry was repulsed, the Gaelic army charged and the army in Alesia burst forth against the Romans simultaneously. The battle lasted from noon to sunset, and for a long time it was unclear who was winning. But just like last time, the Germans saved the day, as the German cavalry broke through the back of the reinforcing Gaelic army's lines and slaughtered their archers. The death and confusion forced the Gauls to retreat. Seeing their reinforcements in retreat, Vercingetorix led his own men back to Alesia. Midnight fell, and the reinforcing Gauls tried to overthrow part of the fortifications. As they did, they cried out to alert the troops in Alesia. Vercingetorix heard them and had trumpets blown and ordered his men to charge out. The battle took place by torchlight as both sides slew each other, but the Romans held their lines. The reinforcing Gauls then discussed what must be done. They discovered that on the northern hill overlooking Alesia, the fortifications were weak due to the sheer circumference and slope of the terrain. 
they sent a force to sneak around the hill and charged it at midday. For a third time, Vercingetorix sent his men forth from Alesia. The Gauls struck from all sides and caught the relatively small Roman force off guard, but climbing the high cliff tired the Gauls, who proved ineffective against the Romans. From afar, Caesar saw the hill being besieged and sent reinforcements, telling his men that all their work rested on this one final victory. From the trenches, a massive war cry emerged from the northern side of the hill, which was answered by a cry from the southern trenches as the Gaelic brothers urged each other on. The normally stoic Romans cried out in return as if to prove that beneath their silent discipline they possessed the same ferocity as their Celtic foes. The Gauls charged, filled with bloodlust and desperation, when the Roman cavalry appeared at their backs, slaughtering many and scattering the rest. In one final noble act, he offered himself to Caesar and begged for mercy and peace for the Gaelic people. With the main armies scattered, dead, or hostages, the remaining Gaelic tribes in revolt surrendered and offered many of their own family members as noble hostages, ensuring their loyalty to Rome. With most of Gaul in ruins, Caesar wintered in Bibracte, that oppidum which had named Vercingetorix as leader of all of Gaul. Meanwhile in Rome, twenty days of thanksgiving were ordered. Vercingetorix was perhaps 30 years old when he united a hundred tribes to fight against one of the greatest generals of all time, who stood at the head of the most powerful country in the world. He had once said that all of Gaul united could stand against the whole earth, and under him that had almost happened. If only the German cavalry hadn't arrived at just the right moment. If only the Adwai had switched sides before. There are many if-onlys that might have changed the story and had Vercingetorix liberate Gaul and end Roman rule, perhaps forever. After all, the year before saw Crassus lose 50,000 men in Persia and started a war that would last half a millennium. With two Roman armies, each numbering around 50,000 dead in the west and the east, Pompey might have been left with a crippled Roman world incapable of any future large-scale expansion. But that's not what happened. Caesar weathered his ill fortunes and capitalized on his lucky breaks to deliver a total defeat of the Gauls, and it was a total defeat. Vercingetorix had ordered hundreds of square miles of farmland and dozens of fortified oppidums burned. Their armies were destroyed, their food supply ravaged, Many of their fortified cities turned to ruin, a million of their people dead over the course of the Gaelic Wars, and another million sold into slavery, and the noble houses had offered their family members as prisoners of Rome to ensure loyalty. Gaul was utterly defeated. Few are the enemies of Rome who lose and go on to live long, happy lives. Vercingetorix was not one of them. Caesar had him transported to the Tullianum, that ancient Roman prison, to await his return for a triumph. However, the next time Caesar was in Rome, he had launched a civil war, and for the next six years he was too busy fighting Pompey for mastery of the Mediterranean world to bother with the former Gaelic king. In 46 BCE, with Pompey dead and the civil war winding down, Caesar staged his triumph. 
Vercingetorix and a number of Gaelic prisoners were marched in chains through the streets of Rome. The triumph ended with the 36-year-old former king of Gaul being strangled to death. Today, Vercingetorix is a folk hero in much of France, especially in Clermont-Ferrand, the closest major city to where he was born. During the 1800s, Romanticism swept through Europe and Vercingetorix's legend gained new life as he was imagined as an indigenous warrior of the ancient Celtic race that had stood against the invading Mediterraneans. In 1865, Napoleon III ordered a seven-meter-tall statue of him at Elysia with a plaque that paraphrases his famous saying that United Gaul could stand against the world. In our next episode, the Gaelic Wars will finally end as a handful of tribes, inspired by the Great Rebellion of Vercingetorix, turn to guerrilla tactics against the occupying Romans. We'll cover this and wrap up this great war and what it all means next time. As always, donations keep the podcast going, so if you would like to make a one-time donation or become a patron, please consider doing so. Thank you very much for your continued support. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.